And so I had a decision to make, right? When we wake up, we're not feeling that great. We got a couple decisions we make. We can choose to stay in the bed, right? Now, if you're really sick, you want to stay in the bed, of course. But if you're just not feeling it, you got a decision to make. You're like, I could stay in the bed or I can get up and get moving because you know once you get up and get moving, you're going to start to feel a little bit better. All of those things. But if you choose to stay in the bed, what happens? You're not going to get out of bed. Right? And you start to feel sicker and then you're like, man, I am really sick. This is going to be a three-day thing, right? See, our attitude's important because our attitude determines a lot of our lives. There's a place called the Carnegie Group. They said that 85% of leadership is attitude. So when we lead, the reason that people follow is because usually the leader has a good attitude. You guys have worked in places where people have bad attitudes. Or you've been around friends who have bad attitudes. And when you're around their bad attitude, you're like, man, my life is miserable, <laughs> right? Because sometimes someone can speak so much negativity that you begin to feel negative. Or sometimes you go into a conversation and you like somebody that after that conversation, you're like, man, maybe I don't like that person either. Because you start to feed on that negativity. And so like our attitude is how we respond to things. And so as a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, your attitude determines how people see Christ inside of you. See, if, if we gossip and our attitude is bad, people begin to see this person proclaims to follow Christ, but their attitude is bad. They gossip. They do everything that I do. So how are they set apart? How are they different than Christ? See, that's the word that says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Set apart, set apart, set apart is the Lord God Almighty. But it says when he calls us, he calls us to be holy. So he calls us to be set apart. So when we come to know Christ, we have to understand we have to change our attitude from how it used to be to how it's got to be. Because when the Holy Spirit comes into you, he changes your perspective on things. Did you guys know that like the Holy Spirit changes your perspective? See, after you become a Christian, situations just don't always become better. But your perspective is different because your perspective is no longer just set on 40 years from now, but your perspective is now set on eternity. And your perspective is no longer set on what I want, but your perspective is set on what is God calling me to. And your perspective goes from how do you please yourself to how you love God and love other people. See, so our attitude has to change when we come to know Christ. If it stays the same, then we aren't set apart. Because if we continue to live in the negativity, then we breed negativity. And negativity is not a part of Christ. That's what we're going to look at in Philippians chapter 2 today. Tyler preached the first five verses last week and decided to leave me with the next 25. Praise God, right? <laughs> so you guys know me. Well, some of you know me, but I'm a little long-winded. Praise be to God. And so we're going to get, like Tyler said, we're going to get out of here. Yeah, we're going to get out of here. At some point in time. Man, praise God if we got to worship till 2 o'clock. I'd be so happy. Amen. You guys wouldn't, but I've been there. I'm just kidding. So you guys would be like, well, this guy just shut up. And the children's disciples out there today, they would not be happy. Because my daughters are out there. And more importantly, my son's out there. <laughs> <sighs> and he's wrecking everything. But Philippians chapter 2 is we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 5. Verse 5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
Remember what we were talking about? We were talking about attitude. Now, now uh, we're verifying what the attitude is. When we're in Christ, we have to have the same mindset as Christ. And so, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. you guys understand what that's saying right there? It's saying that Jesus was in his nature God. That means that Jesus was not just a man. That means that Jesus was not just a prophet. If we, if we don't understand that, it affects our relationship with Jesus. It affects Jesus to us. It affects our salvation. It affects everything. To know Christ is to understand that he is God. He can be nothing less. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He's Lord, liar, or lunatic. Jesus has to be the Lord. He can't be anything less in your life. Because if he is, then he's nothing. Because for a man to say what Jesus said would have made him a lunatic. Think about this. In John chapter 8, it says, eat my body and drink my blood. Yeah. If I come up to you, I was like, hey, you want to eat some of my body and drink some of my blood? You're just going to be like, well, no. And then you're going to leave. <laughs> Something's going to happen. You're not just going to be like, man, that sounds like a great idea. You're going to be like, something's wrong with this dude. He's, he's a lunatic. See, so when Jesus comes and he says, you, to participate in me, you have to eat my body and drink my blood, it means that he is Lord giving us a new revelation and a new direction and a new view of what he spoke to us in the Old Testament. Think about this with Nicodemus. Jesus goes, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and Jesus says a man can only be born again. To enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. Nicodemus is like, what? I got to go back into my mom and be, come back out? That's what the scripture says. It's the RWT, the Ricky Wilson translation, but that's what the scripture says. How can I be born twice? See, for us, we understand because we have the end picture. But when Jesus went to Nicodemus, Nicodemus was looking at him and was like, this dude's a lunatic. But then Jesus continues to explain, and we see Nicodemus what I think, as we see him pop up later in the New Testament, is he moves from death to life. He begins to understand that if I want to follow this Jesus, then I have to give up my life and become his life. I have to make him the Lord of my life because he might be a lunatic if he says these things or he is the Lord of everything. So we have to understand that Jesus is fully God. What Jesus commands of us, what Jesus calls us is authority. We can't pick and choose we can't be like, I like this or I don't like that. See, what he's saying is that he is fully God. Paul is setting us up right here by helping us understand the nature of God, that we have to have the mindset of God, and then that Jesus is fully God, so his word will never fail. And so when we move from death to life, we have to let God change who we are. We have to conform ourselves to the image of Christ. Galatians 2, 20 says, I was crucified with Christ, that I no longer live, but Christ who lives inside of me. That is Paul saying, when Jesus came into me, he changed everything about me. My life is no longer my life. My direction is no longer my direction. It's what Christ wants for me. And this is the hardest thing for Christians to understand because I know it because it's hard for me to understand that I have to be content with whatever God gives me. That's the hardest thing in the world to do. Some of you are like, man, I'm super content. But if you're like me and you say, I'm super content, your mind is thinking about all the other things that could happen. See, that's not contentment. That's lying to yourself. 
I was literally talking to Sarah about that on the way here today. I was like, there was like six months ago, I was like, I'm super content. But in my mind, it was spinning all these different directions. And I was like, but this could happen and this could happen. And what if this happens? Or I'm praying that this happens. And then today I told her, I was like, I am content because my mind isn't trying to force every situation, but I'm just trusting in the Lord for every step of the way now. His will is the true desire of my heart. Now that'll change six months from now because I'll go back to it because I'm a human just like you, right? And sometimes we're prone to wander with an A, not an O, by the way, right? We're prone to wander, not just wonder, but wander. You guys don't get that joke. It's a Christian joke. But anyways, uh, I learned it from Grayson, so if you didn't like it, it's his fault. (laughs) Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He's fully God, but now he's saying, I can't use that for my own advantage. Christianity is not something that we can use for our own advantage. Christianity is not something that should give you a leg up. For a long time, church has been a social setting where you go to make connections so that you can get a leg up in other things. Now, in the world that we live in today, it's not like that as much anymore. But in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, church was a place that you would build relationships like a country club so that you could get a step up in the world. It it continues to move from that direction, and that's why we see churches dwindling because people don't see the benefit that it brings to their life. See, they think that Christianity would be a benefit. Now, sometimes when we have kids, we're like, I need to raise my kids in church. Like I was raised in church. But even that is the wrong mindset because then we're saying we just need them to have a good social system. We just need them to have a good moral system. When in reality, Jesus is more than just a moral system. Jesus is the Lord of our life. Christianity is not something that advantages you. Christianity is something that you follow because you know that it's the truth and everything else is less than. And then you know that the creator, God, created you for great things. And the only way to achieve what he created you with is to bust the separation between you and him so that you can be reconciled with him and become an ambassador of his grace. That's what Christianity is for you. It's not getting out of hell and it's not going to heaven. It's reminding yourself that you are in Christ. Now, there are blessings that you don't go to hell and you're not eternally separated from God and you get to have eternity with him. But if you follow God for his advantages, it's just like dating a woman or a man for their advantages. Jesus is our Lord, not our sugar daddy. Y'all feel me? (laughs) Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he is fully God, but then he became fully human. Jesus could have come to earth and been fully God and asserted his authority. And he could have done these things, but then it wouldn't have been out of a free will. Free will is essential to what we believe as Christians. We know that God gives us the ability to make decisions. That we're just not some uh, servants that he tells what to do. Or we're just not some Plato figures that he creates and puts where he wants to put. But we can move. We can make decisions. We, our worship is genuine because we decide to worship Jesus. Not that we're forced to worship Jesus. There's been times in history when people have been forced to be in religion. Germany with Lutheranism, they were forced to be Lutheran. You had to be confirmed when you were 16. You didn't have another option. So it was forced worship so there was no true believers of Christ. That's how Hitler was so easily infiltrated the church to take it away and use it to begin World War II. 
See, when we're forced to do something, there's no authenticity behind it. There's no true desire behind it. So Jesus, God, didn't want us to have to follow him. He wanted us to choose to follow him. He wanted us to see the divine love that he had for us, that he was willing to put himself on a cross and die for us and be resurrected three days later so that we could be reunited with him. He didn't want to force it. He wanted us to choose it. So we became human. He humbled himself humbled himself the lord of the universe john chapter one says in the beginning was the word that word is jesus in the beginning was jesus in the beginning was god he humbled himself to become like his creation to endure the temptation that we endure. Jesus endured every temptation that we endure but he fought against the temptation through the power of god He resisted it through the love that he had for you because he knew that if he fell into sin, then he wouldn't be able to die on the cross and be the perfect sacrifice. So he fought against the desire. He humbled himself leaving heaven to come to earth. That's awful. Like he had everything. He was the king of heaven. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? Go to earth. That's literally like saying I'm going from heaven to hell. He left his throne to become a peasant. That's that's the beauty of Jesus. Genesis chapter 22 is Abraham and Isaac. God called Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac. And I can't get in and give you all the background right now, but basically Abraham waited a long time for a son. God finally gave it to him, and then God said, sacrifice him. So Abraham was like, paddling with that and then he went ahead he was obedient because he had a promise from God God had promised Abraham I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars so Abraham operated in obedience to the call of God took his son Isaac up a mountain on a three-day journey put the wood for the sacrifice on the back of Isaac took him up through the mountain when he was about to sacrifice him God provided a ram See, Jesus, God, sacrificed everything. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, but sacrificing son would have done nothing because Isaac was not a perfect sacrifice. Now, Isaac has some qualities that we see in the the same death of Christ. He's a three-day journey, just like three days that Jesus went to the tomb. He puts wood on Isaac's back for the sacrifice, just as Jesus had to carry the cross. He has to go up a mountain. Jesus, Jesus went up a mountain. But Isaac wouldn't have mattered if Isaac would have died because it would have covered nothing. All of our sin would have still been here. Our disobedience to God would have still been on us if Isaac would have died. So God knew that there was no reason to sacrifice that son. So God said to him, don't sacrifice your son. He said, I won't make you sacrifice your son because God fully knowing that he was going to send his son Jesus to sacrifice on a cross so that all sin could be covered by the perfect sacrifice who is Christ. God was working all that together. God was moving it all together before we even knew what was happening. He knew he was going to be fully human. That's the beauty of Philippians is that it shows the story that Jesus knew what he was going to do and still chose to do it. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He was a man. You've seen him. He was a man. The Bible says that he was nothing to look at. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus' attitude was, I love my people so much, I am going to die so they can be reconciled with the creator, the father, with me. 
He, he knew what he wanted for his people, so he was willing to die for his people, so he humbled himself to die on a cross. It says, even a cross. See, the reality is about the cross that we have to understand is that this was where criminals died. It was a shameful thing to be put on a cross. This was not a death of honor. This was a death of a broken criminal. That's who was on the other side of Jesus was two criminals. So Jesus humbled himself to be put on a cross. The God, the creator, everything was nailed to a cross. Shamed and guilted and put upon a cross. For nothing that he ever did before all that we had done, he was willing to do it. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Because Jesus was willing to humble himself, because Jesus' attitude was whatever it takes to reconcile the people with God, God blessed him and God exalted him to the right hand of the Father. Because Jesus was willing to die for us, God exalted him to the right hand of the Father. Because Jesus was willing to be obedient to the call of God, God took him to heaven. He resurrected him from the dead, and he put him at the right hand of the Father. So that every time God sees us, he sees Jesus because of the perfect sacrifice. God blessed the obedience of Christ. So we have to understand that the mindset of Christ is being humble. The mindset of Christ is understanding that we have to be willing to follow God wherever he takes us. We have to understand that contentment comes when we understand the path that God is laying before us, which that path is our life is no longer our life, but our life is to glorify King Jesus. When we begin to understand that everything changes, our attitude changes, our perspective changes. Now, Paul does this very interestingly. He lays out the qualities of Christ right here, and now he's about to get into the problems of humans. So he gives us an example to follow. That example is to be humble, to have the mind of Christ, to be willing to serve others. And now he's going to lay out what we do that keeps us from doing that. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence... But now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So what he's saying right here is he's saying, you've been great when I'm around, when, I, when I'm sitting with you, but I know that you're not just doing this because of me, right? We can't just follow Christ because someone else follows Christ. We can't just follow Christ because someone wants us to follow Christ. The only way that we can follow Christ is to follow Christ because he's our Lord. The only way we follow Christ out of true obedience is because we truly understand the love that he has for us and we truly understand that he is the Lord of our life. If we follow Christ because someone wants us to follow Christ, it's never going to result in anything. If we just do it because someone wants us to do it, you're eventually going to get tired. You're eventually going to get tired of trying and trying to be somebody you're not. You can't just follow Christ because your significant other wants you to follow Christ. You can't just follow Christ because your parents want you to follow Christ. We have a great example of parents wanting their kids to follow Christ, so they push them to follow Christ, but then they grow up and they don't ever follow Christ. You push them to go to X, Y, and Z. You push them to read the Bible. You push them to do these things, but they don't understand the joy and why they do it. So it burns them out, and so they leave the church at a very young age because they realize, I can't do this anymore. This isn't mine. This is my parents. 
You never take your faith for your own, but it's your parents' faith. You never understand that Jesus is the Lord of your life. You think that, that, that he, he's the Lord of your parents' life, and so you eventually leave it. You can't follow Christ for a significant other, and we see this all the time when people are following Christ when they're dating, and maybe one was a Christian, then one wasn't a Christian, then the one became a Christian, then they get married, then they become who they really are, and then it doesn't work out. Because that person's finally like, okay, I'm comfortable enough to be myself. I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. Happens all the time. Because you can't follow Christ because someone else wants you to. You can only follow Christ because he is the Lord of your life. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means work out your salvation with sureness and reverence. That means your salvation cannot be contingent upon somebody else. You have to constantly be battling with, who is Jesus to me? What did he do for me? This is, the, this is the respect that I have for his death on the cross, that I understand that I'm a sinner in need of his grace. You work out that salvation when you say, I need to let this part of me be conformed to the image of Christ. We're never going to be perfect on, on earth. We're always going to be sinners. We're always going to make mistakes. But we have to remember that that's not an excuse to do nothing. Like, we can't just say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a sinner, so I'm just going to keep on sinning. Paul's very clear on that in the book of Acts when he says, well, since I have this grace, should I just continue to sin? And Paul says, by no means. See, working out our salvation is understanding that there's sin in our life that Christ needs to defeat, and we have to bring that to him and be open-handed with it. Because you know we can be open-handed with sin, or we can be closed-handed with sin. Open-handed with sin is saying, God, I want to be healed from this, help me to do it. And that, mean, that doesn't mean that you're going to do perfectly. That means that you're going to get those streaks, right? Where you go 15 days without a sin or you go 30 days without a sin. Maybe you slip up again, but then you start a new streak and it goes even longer. Because you're like, God, I just want to be healed of this so badly that I'm going to make these strides. You can't just do something all at once. You can't just go to the gym one day and be fit the next. Right, Nick Willis? If we want to look like Nick Willis, we got to put in the work. Look at this guy. He goes to gym 14 times a day. He works at the gym. He swings golf clubs. He does all those things. Nick Willis is single, by the way, if anybody's looking. But anyways, um, so, is that Tyler? Okay. Tyler's not single. He's married to Brittany. And so, anyways, um, I'll tell everybody, everybody's marital status in here. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but to go to the gym doesn't mean you're just going to be healthy the next day. It takes time. It takes work. That's the same thing with Christ. You're just not going to be perfect the day that you accept Christ. You have a journey. You know what that journey is called? It's a really fancy Christian word. It's sanctification, which is a process of becoming more like Christ. That's what that means. Why do Christians got to say sanctification, Caleb? Like, why can't we just say a process of becoming more like Christ? Because that makes a lot more sense. Caleb's the one who taught me sanctification, so that's why I'm asking him. He was like, you got to say sanctification. And so the process of becoming more like Christ. See, we don't just become perfect when we come to know Jesus. He teaches us. He disciples us. He gives us the body of Christ around him to help us learn and to help us grow so that we can understand what this thing means because this is not always easy to understand. When you read those verses, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it makes you think, man, I'm scared of losing it. I could lose this thing. Which isn't the reality. You can't lose your salvation. Once you're in the hands of God, it can't go anywhere. But the fact is, you could thought you had it, but never had it. Because you didn't make Jesus the Lord of your life. You just made him a part of it. But the one who humbled himself to die on a cross, even a cross, he doesn't just get to be a part of it. He's got to be all of it. 
And so we have discipleship. God allows us to work. God allows us to grow into who he is, and God is not disappointed at us. Sometimes I think as believers, we believe that God is so disappointed in us that it keeps us in a hole of guilt. Man, God is so pleased with you because when he looks at you, all he sees is the blood of Jesus Christ. When he looks at you, he sees the perfect sacrifice of the lamb who died on the cross. He sees his son who took it all upon himself so that you could be set free. So we have to understand, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He's changing you. He's transforming you. And when we understand that who Christ is, it changes our life, and that allows us to become more like him. And then when we come to know Christ a year from later, we look back at our life and we say, look how much God has done inside of me. He has done it. You can't do it. you got to have him working inside of you because the same Holy Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit who's transforming you. The same Holy Spirit that took Jesus from the cross, took him to the grave, and resurrected him three days later is the same presence of God that lives inside of you. So as Christians, we have to just quit thinking, man, I'm not that good. Man, I can't do it. The same Holy Spirit that resurrected a God-man from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of your heart. How can we not do anything? There is nothing that can prevent us from fulfilling the call that God has. There's no man. There's no principality. There's no financial situation. There's no car situation. There's no fear that can prevent you from living out the call that God has placed on your life. The only thing that can prevent you from living out the call that God has placed on your life is your own insufficiency and shame that you carry that you won't let Christ defeat inside of you. It's your own inadequacy that you believe that you're not good enough when Jesus was willing to die on a cross for you so that you could fulfill the call that he's placed inside of you. See, what Satan wants to do, he wants to make you think that you're a sinner and that there's no way of grace. But what Jesus did is he defeated the sin so that there's only grace. So we have to remember that he is working the purpose out inside of us. It's not about how bad you are. It's not about how good you are. It's about the Holy Spirit who he placed inside your heart. Remember what Romans 5 says. His love was poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. While we were enemies with God, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. The fact is, Jesus has placed a great purpose inside of you. And you don't have to worry about how insufficient you are because he's all-sufficient. He's working it out inside of you. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Oh, man. Attitude. How much do you want to grumble and argue? See, if you're like me, someone says, hey, the sky's blue. I'm like, well, that's a pretty light shade. Or someone's like, that, my, my car is maroon. Well, my car's burgundy, I think. Is it burgundy? Has anybody seen my car? It's burgundy-ish. I just call it purple. And everybody's like, your car's not purple. And I'm like, yes, it is. This is why it's purple. Right? Because I just want to argue. I'm like, you want to you argue? Let's argue. And if your point is that you can't lose your salvation, my point's going to, no, I'm just kidding. And so, I just talked about that, if you remember. That's a funny joke, but nobody laughed. Okay, Grayson, we got to work on your jokes that you keep telling me. And so, anyways... Um, <laughs> Some of us just want to argue and some of us just want to grumble because when we grumble and argue, it helps us to distract ourselves from what God is doing inside of us. See, it's all deflection. When we grumble, all we want to do is not have to let God deal with what's working inside of us. When we make fun of somebody else or when we put things on somebody else, all we're doing is saying, I see the same qualities inside of them that I don't want people to recognize inside of me. You ever done that? You're like, man, I am this, so I'm going to deflect and I'm going to hit on this person. It's the same reason that the church focuses on like three sins ever. 
It's like, oh, you drank. You're not a good Christian. Well, probably because you're drinking, so you're trying to deflect, so nobody finds out that you've got a bottle of Jack in your car, right? It's the age-old question within the church. Or homosexuality. Let's just beat up all the homosexuals. So they don't find out about my sin. So we pick a few things to select and we f- grumble about them and we get so upset about them that we forget about the only own sin in our own hearts. So, man, I think Jesus said something about that in the book of Matthew. He's like, deal with the speck in your eye before you tr- deal with the log in your eye before you try to deal with the speck in the other. Man, Jesus was pretty serious about sin. I'm pretty serious about sin. Like, I don't want you to be homosexual either. I want God to release you from that. But the reality is I got to love you because you have a sin just like I have. And who am I to be your judge and say, you got to heal from this before you heal from murder? Man, I think God would want a murderer to heal from murder before he'd want a homosexual to heal from homosexuality. Maybe. I feel like murdering people is pretty serious. Am I right, Caleb? Like, we probably should focus on the murder. By the way, you can come to me and tell me you murdered somebody and we're going to figure it out together. I'm a mandatory reporter, so but it'll be okay. We'll make it happen. We're in Clifton. There's a lot of good places to bury stuff. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah. praise be to God. Uh, are we recording this? Yeah. Praise be to God. Uh, <laughs> now I forgot where I was at. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know where I'm at. And so when you grumble and when you argue, it's a way to deflect. See, we always want to come up with a problem, right? It's a problem that this is like that. You want to know why you want to do that because you don't want to come up with a solution? So if you come up with a problem, it's easy to get yourself recognized. It's easy to be like, this is so bad. And then it feeds that little gossip piece of you, am I right? Where you're like, this is so bad. Then you go to somebody else, you're like, do you know how bad this is? And then they're like, yeah, I know how bad it is. Do you know how bad it is? And hey, did you hear about this, how bad this is? And then you're like, well, this is bad too, and this is bad, and this is bad. And then you got all that negativity. Remember the attitude thing? Then you're filled with negativity. Then you got all this badness. Then you start to build up resentment. Instead of just saying, this is bad, let's come up with a solution, right? That would probably make a difference. That would probably do something. That's what God did, right? God wasn't just like, hey, these people are so bad, let's kill them. God was like, these people are so bad, let's send my son Jesus to die on the cross for them so that they can be reunited with me, so that all sin can be defeated, and so that they can be reconciled with me, and then they'll be used to be to step into their calling as I created them with. And then they'll get to spend eternal life with us. But so often we become so focused on the bad that we forget about the good. We become so focused on creating problems that we forget about we are solution creators. You can fix things. The same Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. I was talking to a guy in Charleston. When was I in Charleston? All the time. So uh, I was in Myrtle Beach this week. So last week I was in Charleston. And I was in Charleston and I was talking to a pastor. He's like, we just can't get people to come to the church. He's like, so we're going to do a tent revival. I was like, oh, praise God. How are you going to invite people to it? He's like, we're just going to put up a tent. I was like, okay. And uh, he was like, well, how are you, like, asking God to bring them? He's like, we're just praying. I was like, so you guys going out and, like, telling people? And they're like, no. I was like, well, buddy, let me explain to you why I can't get people to come to your church. (laughs) If you don't go out and talk to people, then they can't be invited. The Bible's pretty clear on that when he says, how will they hear the gospel if nobody preaches it? So if you want people to come to your church, you know what you do? You invite them. (laughs) If you want people to come to your church, or if you want people to come to know Jesus, you share the gospel. 
Like, this is pretty simple, right? Like, if you want to build a house, you got to start with a board and a hammer and a nail. you got to plan to build. Why is there like seven coffees? Oh, those are those cups. Never mind. Sorry, Brittany. I was like, man, you are drinking today. And so, um, but if you want to build a house, you got to start with a hammer. you got to start with a nail. you got to start with some boards, right? you got to start with a process. Or how about even before you start with a process? See, that's what I would do. A smart person would be like, let's make plans. Oh, yeah, praise be to God. That's probably a way better idea, right? So you got to make plans to do it. See, so the same thing's true. If you want your church to grow, I told him, I said, you have to make plans. You have to go out there. You have to share the gospel. You have to bring them in. Nobody's just going to show up to a tent, right? Like if there's a tent just sitting in the field, you're going to be like, man, I want to go to that tent. Looks like something great could happen there. You're going to be like, I wonder who's camping with a tent without walls. See, nobody's going to be like, man, I want to go there to hear the gospel, because if you don't have relationship, then it's hard to hear the gospel. Jesus doesn't just go up to people and like, you're going to hell. Jesus goes up to people and begins a relationship with them. The same thing's true with John chapter 4, the woman at the well. The same thing's true with the demon-possessed man. Jesus goes up to him, gets to know him, and then sets him free. Jesus just doesn't go up to him and is like, you're set free. Jesus usually says stuff like, hey, don't tell anybody I'm about to do this for you. Jesus usually builds a relationship with them before he proclaims that he is the son of God. So for us, if we want, for that man, I told him, I said, if you want people to come to your church, let's go out and share the gospel with people. Let's go out and invite people. Let's go out and build relationships. See, a lot of churches in the world that we live in are dying today because they're not willing to get outside of their walls. They're not willing to love people the way that Christ loved them. So he was grumbling about that, and that was distracting him from the mission. Because sometimes we can grumble so much we forget about the mission that God has called us to. A pastor said this last week. He said, sometimes we're so worried about maintenance, we forget about the mission. Who's guilty of that? That you get so busy with maintenance that you forget about the mission that God has called you to. I'm guilty of that all the time. Sarah and I was talking about this morning. We were like, man, we need to do a better job of sharing the gospel with our neighbors. But when you pull in your driveway, you're tired. So you can be like, man, my neighbors need to hear the gospel. Or you can be like, exhaust myself for the Lord and pour myself out like a drink offering. I need to get out of my car and I need to go talk to my neighbor. Because if you're focused on your maintenance, you're going to forget about the mission. And if you don't share the gospel with them, how will they ever hear? So we can get so focused on grumbling and arguing that we forget about Jesus. This is what happened in church at Corinth. They were so focused on arguing and disunity that they forgot about the mission that God had called them to. They forgot about Jesus completely. They said, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos. They forget about, no, you follow Jesus. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. See, when your attitude is different than the world, you show the world who you are. When the, your attitude is different than the world, you show the world that you follow Christ. When the way that you treat others is different than the way that others treat others, you show them Jesus. See, the way that we're called to be set apart, that's why it says that it's no longer about the circumcision of the, the, circumcision of the flesh, but the circumcision of the heart. Do you know the reason that circumcision was important? It was because it set apart a people group. That's why circumcision was important. It was a bodily mark that set you apart from everybody else. Now, there's some health things too, but it was a bodily mark that set you apart from everybody else. 
And so when Jesus says it's no longer about the circumcision of the flesh, that's what he tells the Pharisees and Sadducees, but it's about the circumcision of the heart. We have to circumcise our heart in such a way where we're saying we're set apart from the rest of the world. And so when we don't argue, when we don't grumble, but when we come up with solutions, when we don't say, well, the world is so awful, but when we say God has a great plan, when we don't get so distracted by everything in front of us, but we say Jesus is still working, when we're out there sharing the gospel and loving people, everybody's going to see that there's something different inside of you than everybody else, right? Everybody's going to see that God has changed your heart. It's like Bill Gates. People are like, Bill Gates does good stuff for people. Yeah, he gives them a house or something, but what does he give them for eternity? A house will only last for a minute. It will it'll sink on sinking sand if that's what you're building your house on. It doesn't matter if you help somebody like that. It matters that you meet a physical need, but you got to meet that spiritual need. Because if you don't meet a spiritual need, the fact is they're still going to be eternally separated from God. And we live in such a short time on this earth. 80 years is the average life, and it's probably going down now I think for the first time last year it went down and so we have to understand we only get 80 years 80 years is not long I'm 32 I feel incredibly old and I'm like what happened to my life sometimes I'm like I'm 32 how what I remember being 13 sometimes right and so it's like how am I 32 I'm like I got 30 more years left and then I'm going to leave this earth I got to do a lot in 30 years I'll be 62 (sighs) 62 excited about it. But we only have this amount of time. If we don't give somebody something eternal, then what we're doing is we're short-sighting them. See, so when we meet a physical need and a spiritual need, what we're saying to the world is that there's something different about us and it's different than everybody else. When we bear someone's burden with them, when we talk to them about the sin that they're struggling with and we walk through it with them, when we go to a coffee shop with another person, we open up the Bible and we talk about their sin, we talk about their emotions, and we talk about the Word of God, everybody sees that there's something different inside of you. Everybody sees that you care. we got to be set apart like children, it says. Do you know why Jesus so often says children? Because children are are born with a sin nature, 100%. They are sinners from birth. Trust me, I've seen them. But they just have such a trust for their parents. Right? They just trust that you know what's right. They just want to be the person that you're calling them to be. See, sometimes Ellie, she's a little emotional, like her daddy. Not like Sarah. Sarah's a stone-cold killer. But like her daddy. (laughs) And so sometimes if you tell Titus, Titus, you look very handsome today, Ellie will run to her room and start crying. And we're like, why is Ellie crying? And then we got there like, why are you crying? Because you told Titus he was beautiful and you didn't tell me I was beautiful. See, because like a kid, all the kid wants is the affection of the father and the mother. All the kid wants is to please the father and the mother. See, God refers to us as children because all he wants is for a desire to be to please him. And all the thing that you have to do to please God is love him, love others, and make disciples. See, that's what loving God looks like. That's what pleasing Him looks like, being on a process of becoming more like Him. Then you'll be a difference between a warped generation. You'll be the light. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run a labor in vain. See, Paul's saying this right here. He's saying, hey, that I shepherded you, that I invested in you that I was able to help you see who Jesus was. 
But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering for the sacrifice of the service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He says, I'm already pouring myself out like a drink offering. See, Paul is writing this letter from a prison. So he's saying, I'm literally on every account, I'm pouring myself out. A drink offering was an offering that was completely consumed. When you did a drink offering, the the fire would consume every piece of alcohol. So the bottle would be completely dry. There would be not a molecule left. What Paul is saying, he's like, I am fighting the faith. I am running the race. I am pouring myself out. You continue to pour yourself out. And when Christ returns, he'll see the glory that we did, everything that we could to follow him and to step into his calling. See, the reality is God is calling us right now, today, to step into what he's called us to, that he's prepared for us from the beginning of the earth. Jeremiah, it says, I'm too young for this. And God said, I prepared you for it. You're not too young. Don't say you're too young. And he reached down and he touched his lips and he gave him the word. See, Jeremiah didn't have what we have. Jeremiah didn't have this. So God had to reach down and touch his lips. Where in God's grace and God's mercy, he's given us the word of God so that we don't have to have our lips touched because we already got it in our hands. See, God has made it so easy for us to proclaim his good news because he's placed the truth and the word in our hands. He has placed absolute truth in our hands. See, some people are like, well, how can I believe the Bible? Isn't it like contradictive and all those things? Well, no, because literary experts say that it's the most complete book to ever be written. And historical experts say that it's been 98% proven. The other 2% hasn't been disproven. It just hasn't been discovered. You want to know what that is? There were some other letters, 3 Corinthians and 4 Corinthians, that haven't been uncovered yet. See, so there's some, that 2% isn't that it's been disproven. It's that it hasn't been uncovered yet. See, the word of God, it can be trusted because the word of God is unlike any other book. It was written by multiple different authors over a huge span of time, and it still remains the integrity that it was written at the very beginning because of the Holy Spirit who resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that has protected his word over time. See, if the same Holy Spirit can raise Jesus from the dead, then the same Holy Spirit can take a book across generations. Y'all feel me? Because this isn't like every other book. This isn't a book that you can read for academic knowledge. If you read this from academic knowledge, it's not going to do anything for you because this was not written to be read academically. This book is written in something called continuous pose. You can't read continuous prose. That pose, that means all the chapters, all the verse breaks, that's for you so that you can read it better. This book wasn't written originally with that. This book was written as one large document that you read and they were like, man, this hurts our brains. Because it wasn't written for academic pursuit, how we've been trained to read books. It was written for a spiritual, supernatural encounter with God. This is the revelation of God. That is God revealing himself to us. That is what the word of God is. And so us as Christians, when we're like, we can't do something or we want to grumble, we got to remember how gracious God has been to us, that he gave his son Jesus to die on a cross. He gave us the instruction manual for life, the truth, the word of God, the absolute truth that has never changed and never will change, that is sharper than any two-edged sword. God has given us everything that we need to walk into our purpose and our calling as a church and as an individual. God has given us everything that we need to do that. Just like the church of Philippi, he's giving us an instruction to live like Christ, to have an attitude like Christ, to set ourselves apart. See, when I when someone talks to me about somebody from ID, what I want them to say is that person loved me. They weren't perfect, but they had a conversation with me. When some when I hear something from somebody ID, I just want them to say this person loved. They weren't that great, but they loved. And that's what 
what's going to make me so content because I'm going to know that God is setting us apart, that we're changing our minds to be more like Christ, that we're becoming more like him, that we're not arguing and grumbling like the rest of the world, but we're setting ourselves apart. We're circumcising our hearts to the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can proclaim the knowledge of Jesus, so that we can step into our calling. Every single person in this room, you have a calling. You have a calling to sacrifice your life for Christ. You have a calling to be more like him. You have a calling to have a relationship with him. Some of you already have that relationship part down, praise God. But if you don't, Jesus died on the cross for you so that you can have life. All you have to do is come to him and profess with your mouth that he is Lord. We can do that today if you need to. But secondly, some of you in here, you have a calling that you won't step into because you feel like you're inadequate to step into who God is calling you to be. So you don't live in community, but you live in disunity. You're not a problem solver, but you're a problem creator. You let your sin run your life. Hey, if that's you here today, that's okay. You can, it's okay to be there, but it's not okay to stay there. Some of us in here, we might just have a really bad attitude. And when people see us, they have no idea that we follow Christ. If that's the case, your calling today is to step out of that into what Christ is calling you to be. Which is beginning to let him shape your attitude. Jesus died so that we can speak to one another in psalms, hymn, and spiritual songs. That's what the book of Ephesians says so that we can speak to one another the way that we were created to speak, so that we can glorify God with our mouths. And the reality is, God doesn't need us to do that. Do you guys know that God has seraphim flying around him every day and night? Now, seraphim means flaming one, so it's a flaming angel. A flaming angel with six wings. And when the writer of Isaiah saw that seraphim he didn't know what to call it so he called it flaming one he was like it's just on fire son i don't know what to call it let's call it flaming one so the word seraphim doesn't mean anything cool it just means it's on fire (laughs) but this is the cool part it was an angel that was on fire do you know what it says around god all the time holy 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 is the lord god almighty holy 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 is the lord god almighty And he has these angels who are not capable of sin. These angels who were created just to glorify him. These are what is flying around God every day and every night, praising him, saying who he is, giving him the glorification. And God still chose to create us, knowing that our praise would not be as good as their praise, but knowing that he loved us more than anything else in the entire world. So when we feel like we can't step into our calling, remember the same God who sent Jesus to die on a cross for you is the same God who loved you enough to create you. The same God who put breath in your lungs. The same God who knitted you together in your mother's womb. You might feel like you're not good enough to pursue the calling that God has for you. I have to tell you right now, you're not good enough, but Jesus died on a cross for you and made you good enough. 
By yourself, you can do nothing. But with him, the one who works in every good purpose, you can do all things through the glory of God. You can be who God has called you to be. We can be the church that makes a difference in Clifton in such a way that every person in this five-mile radius knows who Jesus is. That when they talk about the church at Clifton, they remember the glory of Jesus. When they talk about the church of Clifton, they know it's the church that everybody can be accepted. They know it's the church that has the right attitude, the church that has the right mindset, the church that won't reject somebody because they're not who they want them to be, but the church that accepts all people, the church that doesn't grumble when someone messes something up, but the church that comes alongside of them, gives them a hug, and reminds them, hey, you're a sinner, so am I. Let's walk together in this so that we can show you the glory of our King Jesus. That's what we get to be as a church. We get to step up and we get to walk into the calling. So my question to you is, church, are you ready for the calling that God has placed on your life? Are you ready to be the body that he's called you to be? Are you ready to step up and walk into the calling? Are you ready to change your mindset to reflect that there is a God who died on a cross for you, who humbled himself to be fully human, to die on even a cross? Are you ready to speak in psalms, hymns, and spiritual blessings? If you need a relationship with Jesus, come find me afterwards or find Grace, and he would love to talk to you about that. But maybe you just need discipleship today. If you just need discipleship, find Grace, and he can hook you up with someone to walk through the word of God with you. Maybe you have a greater calling. Or maybe you need to repent. Then now's the time to work through that. Maybe you've just been super negative. Hey, I get like that some weeks. Maybe you just need to tell God, man, I'm sorry for being super negative. Make my lips refreshing. Make my lips pleasing. God, not let my lips create a wildfire like the book of James says. Let my lips not be like venom, but let it be the refreshment of hydration pouring from me from the living water that lives inside of my heart. Let me glorify your name at my job, at my school, at my house, in my neighborhood, at my church. Maybe you just need to work on that with the Lord today, or maybe you just need some prayer. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes with me, we're going to pray. Hey, if you're in here today and you need some prayer, you just need someone to come alongside of you and lay a hand on you and say a prayer for you. You can raise your hand and we'll send somebody to do that for you. It's like, I just need someone to pray over me. We just want to pray over you. If you need that, will you raise your hand and we'll send someone to pray on you, pray for you? Sometimes it's better to do life in community. Always it's better to do life in community. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are, that you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Father God, that you have always and will always be. Father God, that you never change, your word never changes, you are consistent, you are all-powerful, you are all-knowing, and you are all-present. Father God, thank you that you are the only God who has a personal relationship. Every other religion makes you earn it. Every other religion is not personable. But Father God, you, the true God, you are personal. You care about us. You want to be with us. You don't care about what we do, but you care about who we are in your son, Jesus. So Father God, let our attitudes be set upon you. Let our minds be set upon you. Let transformation pour out. Father God, shake the walls of this place with the gospel that's seeking to get out. Father God, shake the walls of your body, Father God. Empower us to go and to proclaim your gospel in this community and in the 
places we live. Father God, let your glory pour out, Father God, like it has been in so many places. Father God, let your glory pour out. Let your Son be glorified. Let it escape from me. Let me not be the roadblock holding the glory of Jesus back. But Father God, let me open up my hands and be open-handed with everything that you've given me. Father God, let me trust that you are the Lord. Let me be content in every situation. Let my perspective be changed by your attitude. Father God, let me see the glory of Jesus every single day and let us be the church that you have called us to be. Father God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you were encouraged by the message. At ID Clifton, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events, please visit us at idclifton.com. We'll see you next time.